Thank you. You know, uh, kids are a blessing from God. The Bible says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full, regarding children as arrows. Uh, and on Father's Day, it's apropos to speak on what God has called or expects out of a man. Uh, some of you may not be a father yet, or, or bless God, maybe you never want to be a father. But God has a plan for men. He has a plan for our women uh, too. But uh, ladies, I'm going to give you a lot of opportunities today to say amen. I can promise you that. Uh, but today, I want to just talk uh, about what it means really to be a man, to be a man uh, of God, to be somebody who lives for God, who serves God, who, who pursues the things of God, who believes the Word of God, who trusts God, who, who loves God. Listen, uh, love is not a word that's kicked around in locker rooms very often uh, until you've won the championship or you've lost the championship and then everybody's crying saying, oh, I love you, man, and all this other stuff. But loving God is one of the most powerful things that you as a man can do in front of your children, in front of your wife, in front of your peers, in front of your coworkers, in front of your friends. Uh, but man... Uh, men are called literally uh, to be conquerors. Actually, the Bible says we're called to be more than conquerors. Open your Bibles, if you have it, to Romans chapter 8. And let me just encourage you, bring your Bible to church. Uh, if you use a, your iPhone for your Bible, or if you, or if you have one of the other kind of phones, that's fine. But have your Bible with you, uh, because what it is, is the Bible uh, literally is the word of life. If you can get the Word of God in you, you are unstoppable. Because the problem is, something may happen in your life uh, where you really need somebody, and you're not going to be able to get a uh, pastor on the phone, you're not going to be able to get so-and-so on the phone, or, or whatever happens. Listen to me, you need the Word of God hidden in your heart. You need the Word of God inside of you. So on Sundays, when we have church, bring your Bible to church. Uh, uh, make it a habit. Let your children see you. Let your children and grandchildren see you reading the Bible. You say, well, that's just a show. I don't want to be a show. Well, bless God, you are a show. No matter what you do, you ought to be a little bit more uh, 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 purposeful about it. And you ought to uh, literally show them what you want them to be. Uh, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then it begins to talk about the things that will not sh separate us. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. Uh, uh, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's what's written. But no, 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 he said, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, everybody say persuaded, that means I'm convinced, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
He's trying to say, even though he might not have listed your thing that you feel like has separated you from the love of God, nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate you from the love of God. And through Christ Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. You know, if he said you were a conqueror, that'd be great. But he said you are more than a conqueror. You are more than a victorious winner. You are more than somebody who has the victory. You are literally above. You are not beneath. You are the head and not the tail. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the field. You are blessed coming in. And you are blessed going out. But you've got to recognize it. And then by faith, you've got to lay hold on that thing. And not let go of it when the winds rage. When the storms come. We need men that will stand up. Somebody give me a big amen. Amen. Just the men. Give me a big amen. Amen. Praise God. We need men that would rise up in their inner man and decide I'm not going to be pushed around spiritually. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in just a minute. But the problem is uh, we don't have enough men. This is protein summer. It's about to get real deep in here. We don't have enough men that are taking up their crosses and bearing them. Well, if i got to carry your weight, your mama's weight, your brother's weight, and your cousin's weight, guess what? I'm no longer carrying a yoke that is easy and a burden is light. Jesus said that you should take up your cross. The Bible says that you should take up your cross. Men need to get out of the bed in the morning, quit rolling out of the bed as if you've been somehow mistreated more than everybody else and determine that there is a devil who wants to kill you he wants to kill your family and you're called to take up your cross as the head of that family if you don't have a family yet bless God get ready do some drills pray for that wife that you haven't met yet pray for those children that haven't been born yet pray for the spouse of those children that haven't been born yet get built up on your inner man so that when the seas come and the seas rage that you are ready you are able and you are willing to take up the fight of the body of Christ men have to stand up some of you are already standing You're just wishy-washy. And I don't mean uh, wishy-washy in Christ. If somebody were to come and tell you, uh, uh, are you a Christian? You'd say yes a hundred times. And they'd run over you in a car. And they'd say, if you don't stop, if you don't stop saying Jesus, I'm going to run over your car. You'd say, run over me. But I can just tell you, that doesn't happen every day. But what does happen every day is your children and your neighbors and your nieces and your nephews and your spouse, they are watching you. And they're trying to determine because here's what happens. The Bible says that man is the priest of his house uh, like the shepherd of his home. And one of the number one characteristics of a good shepherd is a good shepherd brings peace to the flock. Everybody is looking at you, sir. I said, everybody is looking at you, sir, trying to determine how am I about to react. I'm going to talk more about it, but just this week, the greatest tragedy in my lifetime that we've seen in the modern church took place. I've never been more affected by something that I am not directly connected to than what happened in Charleston, South Carolina. And we have seen miracle after miracle Let me tell you, I know a thing or two about it. I know a lot about it. I come from a town 
where they took a man, tied him with a chain, and drug him like a piece of wood to a fire. They drug him down a road. Three men filled with the devil, intoxicated with alcohol and drugs and every other demonic hatred, racist thing, terror and fear. They drug him until you could not recognize that that was a human being. Till his body laid in pieces. People came from all sides. The white bigots that are so ashamed of who they really are. They wear sheets on their face. As if somehow that masks the demonic hatred that they're spewing everywhere. Other groups that are born out of necessity. That are just so frustrated that they can't see that kind of thing continue. Saying I've got to do something coming. Everybody threatening violence from every side. But a family stood up. The father of the man who was killed. Stood up and said we are Christians. We are Christians. We will not allow our son. And his death, his martyrdom, to be stained by repaying violence for violence. In Charleston, South Carolina, we've seen that right there. If there was ever a day when a group of people should have burned down the streets, it was Wednesday. But because of Jesus... Because of some divine ability to forgive. That doesn't remove the pain. It doesn't remove the hurt. I promise you. They will live. The survivor's family. The, 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 the families of the martyrs. They will live their life as if they were an amputee. Looking to where their arm used to be. And feeling it. And wishing they could just touch it one more time. What used to be so connected to them. Their family. They will live their life without that. Because of a demonic hate filled individual and a hate filled movement I might add they will live their life missing what should not have been cut off but somehow God in those moments and I'm not sure that we can even uh, experience it except to experience it and in the name of Jesus I pray that it would never come on us never come on a family member of New Heights Church Never come on a family member, not one more family of the body of Christ. But I believe there is a grace that will hit that you've never experienced unless you've had to experience it. Because the scripture says, my grace is sufficient. You see, we have a lot of teachers, the Bible says. But gentlemen, the scripture says we don't have many fathers. And several differences, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to name one or two. A teacher might have the information, but might lack the authority. But a father, most oftentimes, has the information and the authority. The problem is, fathers, we have to take up that position in our house. And if you are lackadaisical about it, can I just say that you are showing your offspring that lackadaisical is okay when it comes to the things of God. 
Gentlemen, if you are not willing to submit to the Word of God, if you're not willing to submit to the authority of God, gentlemen, if you are not willing to submit to the Word of God, and you are not willing to submit to the authority of God, you can never expect your house to submit to the Word of God and to submit to the authority that God has put you in in that house. If 50 Sundays go by, and five of them you are in the house of God, 25 of them, you were at a baseball game or watching the football game or sleeping on the couch or mowing the yard because you don't have time any other time. Let me just tell you, you just told your children that church is 10% important to you in your life. And then we wonder, why do our children not serve God? We wonder why our children uh, uh, decide to go off and seek other things. You didn't even make it a priority when you had the authority, sir. Because we don't have any fathers, the Bible says. We don't have anybody that takes up that hedge. That decides, I'm going to be that regardless of what anybody else said. Submission and honor is measured when you receive what you don't like. You know what? I just love you. You are so blessed. You are the smartest person in the world. Blah, 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 blah. There is no submission when you hear something like that. But you know you're submitted to the Word of God when you choose to hear that Jesus loves everybody of every race and every color and every creed and every tongue just the same and you rise up in your spirit and refuse to listen to old devilish ideas and you say it comes from my family I was raised that way it's my heritage I don't care if you're pink if you're black if you're white if it's wrong bless God it is wrong you are not in submission to the somebody ought to be clapping right now I'm preaching like a man on fire there is something about submitting to the word of God that will change everything about your life and can I just say somebody ought to decide that they're going to get radical about it why should I get radical because you meet the problem with the force of the problem and greater and you have an adversary who is radical about destroying your family sir You have an adversary. He is the devil. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He is not tired after chasing you. When you get weak, you don't get to look at him and go, time out for a minute. No, no, no. When you get weak, he's coming to hit you again. He's coming to punch you again. That's why that you have to put him exactly where he belongs, and that is under your feet. It's different when you live for God. But you got to live for him on purpose. You don't get in your car and say, I'm going to Dallas, and then just take every turn haphazardly. You get in your car and you make a plan. And you say, I'm going to turn this way when I need to turn that way. I'm going to drive this way when I need to drive that way. And sooner or later, if I will follow these procedures, I will reach my destination. Well, bless God, sir, you need to get some procedures in your life. The Bible calls it discipline. You know, the D word, discipleship, going to all the world, making disciples where you become disciplined. 
discipline where I don't just look at everything on the computer. I don't just watch every television show. I don't just laugh at every joke. I don't just go to the movies with everything. I don't allow my temper to rise up and spout off at my wife. I don't allow my children to pay for the frustrations that I'm feeling at work when I get home. I don't do any of that stuff because I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. There's something about living for God that will shift everything in your life. But gentlemen, we have to take up our rightful place. Ladies, I'm so thankful. If you've been living with a man or you've been living in an environment where you don't have that, I'm thankful that God has given you the strength. But bless God, gentlemen, take up your cross and bear it. Submission to authority is measured when you don't like what is said. I am constantly teaching my children. I'm not saying we do everything right, but I can promise you we do almost everything on purpose. Commercials don't just play in my house. I don't care if they play in yours, but they don't play in mine. My children don't just watch every show. My children wouldn't know the top 40 pop music if they had to. There was a million dollar prize for knowing the top 40. I would not teach my children the top 40. I don't care if somebody is booty-licious. Sounds real funny. That's somebody's daughter. And that's somebody's mama. Oh, I didn't hit yours. The honky-tonk badonkadonk. That all sounds real cute. I'm fighting back a smile when I say it. But just because it doesn't meet with your gender or, or your desire or the beat that gets you. You know, you can't talk about somebody else's music when our music says the same daggum thing. It just does it with twang. Pop a top again. What's the difference between that and singing about Cristal? A lot of people in here holy. They don't know what I'm talking about. I'm glad. There's no difference. Sometimes I tell my children no. Because I need to measure their response. You say, you're crazy. No, I'm peculiar. Children say, Daddy, can I have some M&M's? No. Daddy... That's it. It's over. You don't even know. You don't learn. You don't know. You don't know. Daddy, can I have some M&M's? No. Yes, sir. Go get in the car, baby. I'll buy 20 bags of M&M's. And I'll go to the car and I'll say, baby... Listen to me. I'm so proud of the way you receive that. You know, our Father in heaven, He's a good God. And the Bible says that He'll do abundantly above anything you can ask or think. You ask Daddy for one bag of M&M's, but bless God, here's 20. And then I let him eat them all before we get home. No, I don't. I say, what do you want to do with these M&M's? I want to give some to Walker. I want to give some to Trinity. Daddy, I want you to have some. I'm like, bless God, you want me to have some. I'm on purpose. I'm living this life. This life is not living me. You say, oh, well, you know, you're just a preacher and preachers don't. No, no, no. My washing machine breaks. Things happen in my life. I just refuse to let the things be more important than him. 
How you respond with something you don't like determines your level of submission. My children don't look at God like he's out to get them. If they hear a no from God, they get excited because it must be something better than they were asking or thinking about because we're training them up in the fear and admonition of God so that when they get older, they won't depart from that. Can somebody clap your hands for joy? Heroes who made our Bible. I just want to give a few examples. I could preach for three hours on this. I should probably make this a series. Heroes of our Bible, the priests of your Bible, sure they prayed, sure they stood in the gap, sure they got to go to the holiest of holies, sure they received offerings and all those other things, but they were also responsible for sacrificing sometimes thousands of animals a day. I don't want to get too graphic, but I've shot lots of animals. I'm a hunter. If you don't like hunting, whatever, where do you want to get meat from? But it's a very bloody thing to clean an animal. It's a very dirty thing to sacrifice an animal. These men of God would spend their days with their hands covered in blood, sweeping up and shoveling all the stuff that the animals brought into the room other than their blood. Because right before that would happen, oftentimes the animals would do. They didn't have toilets. So the priests were literally covered in blood all day long, smelling like uh uh-huh all day long. And God says, this is a representation of a man of God. Somebody who will take up the hedge when nobody else does. I'm not saying you got to be a Navy SEAL. I'm not saying you got to be a hunter. I'm not even saying you got to be a fisherman. But I'm telling you, God is calling for men who are not afraid to get their hands dirty. He's calling for men who are not afraid to get their hands on something and do something about it. Do you remember young David? great big giant standing there screaming how he's going to kill everybody and all of a sudden this young shepherd boy who the only thing he really knew in the world is God had told him that he was going to be king decided he's not going to stand one more minute for somebody blaspheming God in his presence now you can't control what somebody says you can't control what comes out of their mouth but you can control what comes out of your mouth and here's the, here's the issue. Anything that you will tolerate, you will eventually accept. If you don't believe me, the Supreme Court is fixing to vote on gay marriage because the church was quiet when Bill Clinton said, don't ask, don't tell. And I like Bill Clinton. Anything that you tolerate, you will accept. And anything you will accept, either you or the next generation will condone and embrace. Now we have people talking to Christians and saying, uh, uh, you can't tell somebody that's wrong. You just told me I can't read the Bible out loud. You can't tell me I can't read the Bible. Well, listen here, that's called hate speech. No, hate speech is what happened in Charleston four days ago. Speaking on the things of God, the way they are written, is called true religion. It's called good doctrine. David stood up, rose up. Jesus, 12 years old. Where's Jesus? Where's your, bless God, he's in church. 
If we can't find a revelation in that scripture about how important it is to be in the house of God when a 12-year-old son of the living God who is the wisest, smartest person to have ever walked planet earth, to have everything in his fingertips, who can call legions of angels to be at his beck and call when he could not be found elsewhere, he was found in the house of God. David's mighty men. Gentlemen, everybody has a signed reading. 1 Samuel chapter number 23. 1 Samuel chapter number 23. The scripture begins to itemize this group of men that fought with and for David. Calls him his mighty men. One of them, Eleazar, the Bible says that he fought so long and so hard that his hand cleaved to his sword. That's a beautiful picture if you're a Rambo mentality on the inside kind of a Christian. But here's the thing. Ephesians 6 says that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Gentlemen, you should fight every single day with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so much so that if you die, that thing should not be able to be pried out of your hand because how serious you are about the things of God. If we had men who would take up their cross, we wouldn't have some of the things that we're dealing with today. But let this preacher tell you, we are coming into the last days. This is the last hour. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the church is going to rise up and it will be our finest hour. We will not grow weary in well-doing. We will not get slow. We will not get slack. We will press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. And when it comes time for the roll to be called, the men of God will rise up, stand up, and declare that no giant in the land is going to intimidate me off the solid rock at which I stand. There's something about God. It will shift everything. Joshua was fighting one time. And the sun began to go down. And instead of saying, oh, thank God, they'll probably retreat for a while and we'll get a break. Instead of hitting his knees and praying, oh, God, deliver me from this battle. I've been fighting all day long. He said, oh, God, if you would just hold the sun up a little bit longer, I will kill every adversary that comes against me. We need men who don't run from the fire. We need men that will run to the fire. We don't need men that pray that God would constantly deliver us, but that God would throw us in the middle of something, that His mighty power might be known to those around us. You want to know how to get a kid to serve God? You serve God in front of the kid. My father, in a racist town, when we were growing up, this, the, 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 the Little League teams looked real simple. It was all the white teams and then the team that had black kids. That was the team I was on every year because my father refused to let anybody feel inferior even if it wasn't in church. 
when the man who was killed behind a pickup truck in the most heinous crime that has ever happened in that region, when the murder was finally done, uh, they had a memorial service, a private memorial service, and they asked my white father to speak at it because he knew that he would not, they knew that he would not tolerate any kind of division, but he would speak the word of God in season and bless God out of season. You can raise some fire-breathing, Holy Ghost-filled children, but bless God, you have to raise them. They do not raise themselves, gentlemen. Sir, I'm 10% through with my sermon. You have to raise them. If you think it's funny and it would hurt somebody of another race, it is not funny. I'm going to say that again. If you think it's funny and it would hurt somebody that's not your race, it is not funny. Let me let it hit home a little bit. The scripture says that one, that you plant seed everywhere. You scatter it. Sometimes it'll hit bad ground. It's stony. And it'll get burned up. Sometimes it'll hit ground that has a lot of thorns. It'll get choked out. Sometimes uh, the thief, the devil, will come and steal it. Sometimes it'll hit good ground. That's the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. Did you know the devil is a replication of what God is the other way? Which means... He's constantly scattering seed. And I would venture to say that probably nobody in this room is good ground for hate and bigotry. Probably wouldn't take root. It would just get burned up in the Shekinah glory of God. But there's some people who are good ground for the devil, not because they're necessarily bad people, but because maybe they didn't have a father. Maybe they didn't have a mother who taught them what the Word of God says about racism. Who taught them what the Word of God says about how you love somebody, how you don't love somebody. Maybe they didn't have that. And they are perfect ground for the seed of hatred to begin to grow. And it just starts out as a little bush. And you change how you talk. Maybe you don't even change how you talk. You just change how comfortable people are talking nonsense around you. Sometimes people say what was said around them to me. And I say, I don't really worry about what they said. I worry as to why they were comfortable to say it around you. It grows from a little plant till it begins to take root. Grows into a tree and off its branches come racism, sexism, hatred, envy, lying, lust. All because of the seed. You're not good ground for the seed of hatred. You're not good ground for the seed of wickedness. But if that seed is cast in your presence and you do not Water that thing with the water of the word, which is poison to the devil's seed. And you might be causing your brother or your sister who hears it to stumble because they are good ground for the devil. 
You can't play with the devil. You cannot play with the devil. You, anything that is contrary to the word of the living God is not from God. It's time for the church of God to rise up and stop allowing the devil to define uh, what a man is. The devil has begun to define everything in society. He defines what's right and wrong. He defines what sin is. Now he's trying to, listen to this. I can't believe I'm having to say this. He's trying to define what gender is. He's defining what marriage is. And for too long, he's tried to define what a man is. When you hear about a minister, when you hear about a man of God, the thought and the vision in your mind ought to be somebody who's so filled with fire, who's so filled with the power of God that is backed up by a giant lion of the tribe of Judah that won't back off, that doesn't get scared, that doesn't get slow, that doesn't get slack, that refuses to step back, stand down, or tolerate sin. Now listen to me. I'm not talking about your sinning, shame on you. I'm talking about tolerating sin. If you can't conquer yourself, bless God, you can't, you can't do much. But it all comes from being the man that God has called you to be. You got to stand for something. Or you'll fall for anything. Nearly all the disciples in our Bible were fishermen, hard men, most likely. Spent their days in the sun. Dropping their net into a place that they can't see. The reason God looks at fishermen is because they got more faith than almost anybody. They take a little old hook with a little old worm and they throw it into an area that they can't see and they believe God they're going to catch a big fish. It's a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we can't see. Simon Peter was a Galilean. Galileans are very interesting people. Josephus, one of the great historians, described them this way. He said, Galileans are known to be quick-tempered, but eager to follow. Given to fighting, but chivalrous men. When Jesus had the whole earth to pick a ringleader from, he said, give me somebody who will fight with me. Give me somebody who will follow me. Give me somebody who wouldn't be scared to get their hands dirty, but at the same time is chivalrous. The Talmud, which is a book of Jewish law and different recollection, describes Galileans as this way. Anxious for honor more than gain. Isn't that interesting that Jesus chose somebody from a tribe that was known to pursue honor you could interchange the word willing to submit to authority more than gain the Talmud also says they're quick tempered impulsive emotional easily roused for an adventure man I'm speaking to something on the inside of you that's going that's, that's me maybe it hadn't always been me 
or, or maybe that's the way I was. And somewhere around 1819, somewhere around there, something just, it's like, it's, like the, it's like a blanket got thrown on who I am. I used to feel all those things that you're talking about. I remember I was one for adventure. I was one for doing the right thing. I, I was one for pressing towards the mark. I was one for that. Talmud finishes, says, they're not just roused for adventure easily. Oh, God. They're loyal to the end. When Peter doubted himself, Jesus didn't doubt him. Some of you have made some real mistakes. and Nobody's mad at you. Somebody made, some of you have made some really bad decisions. Or indecisions. You, know, you just haven't been on purpose about some things. You just haven't been on purpose. Some decisions are just made for you. So the Lord's looking for people who will take up their cross. And they will bear it. And can I just say... What you do or do not do will have everlasting and eternal effects on your offspring and those that you have influence on. The scripture says that we are called to be more than conquerors. I'm so glad it doesn't stop there because I would fall so short. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. It's the greatest calling in the world to serve God. Because when you do, you don't have to stand on your own strength. He just asks you to stand. If we're conquerors, more than. What should we be conquering? And bless God, why are we not? We are to conquer our own pride, our own feeling of, inf- of superiority. We're to conquer doubt. We are to conquer our temper. We are to personally conquer racism. You can't do anything about anybody else, but you can do everything about you. Some of you, a small shift in your life would have a humongous ripple effect on the people who listen to you. We're to conquer fear, because if you'll conquer it, fear won't have any place in your household. My children ask me sometimes, I said, Daddy, what are you afraid of? I tell them, not one thing, baby. Now, you put me in the wrong situation, in the wrong environment, I'm not telling you I won't fear fear feel fear take this shirt off there's no S on my chest unless it says saved but I tell them I'm not scared of anything nothing not one thing am I scared of really? that's right baby because God didn't give me a spirit of fear He gave me a spirit of power of love and of a sound mind and He gave that same spirit to you That means when you feel that sense of uh, being afraid or scared, 
you can remember what God said about you. Because he didn't just do it for daddy. He did it for everybody. He can give you a spirit. I'm not scared of anything. They say, well, what happens if somebody throws a snake on you? Me and you are going to fist fight. But I'm not going to confess that I'm scared. I don't allow my children to confess that they're scared. I'll take it one step further. I'll leave it right there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to confess fear. I'm taking this thing. See, I'm what you call a, a teetotaler. I'm a radical. You say, well, have you ever done anything wrong? Yeah. I didn't marry Crystal fast enough. I'm a teetotaler. Don't let the devil tell you because you did something wrong that you're not qualified. Let the devil tell you because you didn't make all the right decisions. Let me tell you one more story. I'm going to close. That old Galilean, Simon Peter, Jesus called him the rock. Not the wrestler, the disciple. He told Jesus himself, I will never, ever, ever, I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. I'll never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever, I'll never, ever deny you. I just won't do it. These heathens probably will that you call disciples, but I won't. I'm, I'm Peter. I'm the rock. That's who I, I'm not going to, I will not. They came and got Jesus. That old Galilean side of Peter who's got a quick temper and willing to fight for a chivalrous reason, ripped his sword out, delicately cut the man's ear off that was trying to get Jesus. Jesus reached down, picked the ear up. We don't know if he really picked it up, but it'd be cool if he did. Stuck it on the guy's head. Told Peter, you live that way, buddy. You'll die that way. I see something in you that I'm going to use. I'm going to use all those emotions. I just need them pointed in the right direction. You live that way, you'll die that way. You live that way, you'll die that way. Now Peter's doctrine's all messed up. Because I personally believe Peter was completely willing to die for Jesus. Completely willing to give it all right then. And now all of a sudden, he begins to get a, a, just, a, just a portion of a revelation of what the kingdom is really like. Just a portion. And now he doesn't know what to do. Because his plan up to that point was to die with Jesus with his sword sw- uh, uh, drawn and swinging. His plan at that point was to go and kill everybody that came against Jesus. And he was completely willing to die for it. No problem. But now all of his doctrine is just getting wrecked. All of it's just getting shook. They take Jesus and they bring him in front of a kangaroo court, a real private little court. They begin to accuse him. And some people, particularly the Bible says a damsel. When I hear the word damsel, I do not think that is near as scary as a Roman soldier who's coming to arrest somebody. Or a temple guard who has a sword and a helmet. A damsel, just a little damsel. Hey, 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 you're, you're one of Jesus' disciples. This is the man who ripped his sword out and tried to cut one guy's head off. And he's terrified of a little lady. No, 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 no. No, it's not me. So we know Peter was not scared of soldiers. He was scared of damsels. But he really wasn't scared. His doctrine got wrecked. You mean to tell me that, that, that I, can't, I can't settle everything with my temper? No, baby. You mean to tell me I can't? No, sir. 
You mean to tell me? No. When do I have a right to lose my temper? Jesus only lost it one time in three years and he was completely under control. But it all had to do with defiling God's house. It had nothing to do with him. You want to lose your temper? You don't have a right to, sir. You want to yell at your wife? You do not have the right to yell at God's daughter. Somebody ought to clap right there. God's daughter. Let that sink in for just a minute. God's daughter. You yell at my daughter, everything that is under my power is now coming against you. I don't even joke about it. You yell at God's daughter and act like it's not a big deal. Peter, the Galilean, said, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. Three times, y'all know the story, rooster crowed, cock-a-doodle-doo. Could you imagine how Peter felt? One recollection says Jesus looked at him. I don't believe he looked at him mad. I believe he looked at him and said, Just hold on, Peter. Just hold on. Peter spent three days wrecked in his spirit, in his heart. He did exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. He denied him three times. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where people don't have refrigerators. But it's very interesting when you don't have the methods to preserve food and keep it cold, you live uh, from, from farm to table, is the way they call it. In those areas, chickens are not a... a uh, like in my house, I have chickens. and they're, I mean, they're borderline a luxury. I like them because I like their eggs. And, and I like... I like, you know, watching them scratch the ground and peck and look with their eye like that. I just like all of that. It's like the chickens. Like a, it's, like a, it's like an entertainment factor for me. It's like watching a good show. Crystal walks outside, y'all get this. And she always goes like this. They've got four of them. She'll go, hello, ladies. <laughs> I laugh every time. But for us, chickens are just something we want. We could go to a Kroger or Walmart or wherever your favorite H-E-B store or whatever is and get our chickens. But if you don't have refrigeration, you don't have trucking and shipping lines, and you don't have mass commerce and things like that, you know, uh, chickens are not a luxury. They're a necessity. You want to feed your baby some eggs? They're a necessity. You want to fry some chicken every now and then? Oof. Call me. They're a necessity. Well, what I'm trying to say is, I bet you everybody had chickens. Everybody. Everybody could afford them. I bet you everybody had a rooster. And roosters don't just crow in the morning, contrary to popular belief. I'm from the country. I know a thing or two about chickens and roosters. They'll crow all day long. Could you imagine Peter hearing that rooster all day long? Reminding him of what he'd done. You see, the devil is crowing at you all day long, sir. Every time you walk down the street, 
you're hearing it. Every time you get in your car, every time, I just heard it right there. Every time that you try to pray, you have that old rooster crowing at you, telling you you're not worthy, you're not right, you can't pray, you can't press towards the mark, you can't live for God. Nobody's going to listen to you, Peter. You're the one who denied him. Nobody's going to listen to you, Peter. You're the one who denied him. Now, you may have never denied Jesus, but you've said and done some things, and that old rooster's just crowing at you. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Nobody's going to listen to you. All day. Has anybody ever heard roosters? Just all the time. Reminding them. But then the Bible says that on a Sunday morning, Christ Jesus arose from the dead, walked out of the tomb. There was an angel there. And the girls run. They're coming to see Jesus, Jesus' mama and Mary Magdalene, who've been delivered to several devils. They're looking for him. They get all upset because the tomb is empty. The angel says, listen to me, whoa, 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 whoa. He did just what he said he was going to do. And I can just hear a rooster in the background. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Peter can't hear the angel. He just hears the rooster. The angel says, you need to go tell his disciples and tell Peter. Sir, this morning is an and tell Peter morning for you this morning is a morning where we ignore the voice of the rooster and we listen to the voice of the master everybody bow your head and close your eyes please if you're in the building today